the Being Forces Friendly Podcast, a monthly podcast where we sit down with experts from the armed forces, government and business to discuss engaging with defence and the mutual benefits that come from it. everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Neil Jackson, known universally as Jacko. I'm the Director of Defence Relationship Management, who act as the MOD's interlocutor between industry and, um, and the Ministry of Defence. And our key role is in delivery of the Armed Forces Covenant and the Employer Recognition Scheme. And I'm delighted today that we are um, covering Defence Relationship Management's Being Forces Friendly podcast. Uh, this is the 11th episode in the series. All past episodes have covered topics from the armed forces, government, sport, business, and they can all be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Now, our guests today join us from the Office for Veterans Affairs, the Office for National Statistics, and the Confederation of British Service Charities, COBSIO. We're going to discuss today the inclusion of the veteran question in the 2021 census. And in particular, what this means for the UK's veteran population and how it will help achieve our collective goal of making the UK the best place in the world to be a veteran. So to start, I think it's probably best that we introduce our guests. So um, first of all, from the Office of Veterans Affairs, we have Damien Patterson. Damien. Morning, Jacko. Um, hello, everyone. My name's Damien Patterson. I'm the Deputy Director uh, of the Office for Veterans Affairs. So my remit in the team goes beyond above pretty much everything that we, we're involved in. And I'm really excited to be here today talking about what is a fundamental, I think, uh, fundamentally important part of uh, how we improve the outcomes uh, and support available for veterans in the future. Fantastic. And thank you for joining us, Damien. Much appreciated. Um, Carry on. Good morning, Jacko. Good morning, everyone else. And um, I'm Kerry Ann Wild, and I'm here as a representative for the Office for National Statistics. I'm a census engagement manager, um, and the area that I cover is South Cumbria and North Lancashire. And I'm also a veteran myself. So this this topic and is very um, important to myself and my husband because he's also a veteran. Thank you, Kerry Ann, and welcome also. Um, so, Joe. Thank you, Jacko, and uh, good morning to everybody. Um, my name is John McCall, and I'm the chairman of the Confederation of Service Charities, which is the membership body for the service charities sector. Um, I'm absolutely delighted that we're really getting to the stage where we're talking about the implementation of this, this initiative. Um, it's really important to the sector, and we'll come on to why that is the case as we go through the conversation, but uh, really thrilled to be here this morning. Thank you. Well, welcome, everyone. And as uh, I think you can all tell, that we have possibly the best qualified uh, panel today to talk about this particular issue. So um, I think, let us start then, perhaps um, uh, Kerry ann if I could put to you, um, the 2021 census will ask respondents whether or not they've served in the UK Armed Forces. And, um, and this question is going to be asked to all respondents over 16 um, years of age. And I think possibly the most important question for veterans listening is, what does that really mean for them? And what information is the census going to ask them to provide? Um, carry on. What this means for veterans is that finally they can be counted. And in turn, this will give government a true figure um, rather than the estimated and guesstimated figures that government have been using up to date um, of how many veterans are truly out in England and Wales. 
what they can then provide services and support that can be properly funded and related to the level of veterans that we have. Um, and this is this is key because veterans have been, as, as all of us here know, have been seriously underrepresented in the past. And the question that they're going to be asked is, um, it's a two part question. So uh, have you served in the regular um, armed forces um, and have you served as um, a reservist in the armed forces? And if you've served in both, you can tick yes to both because you have served in both. Um, if you have served in the regulars and um, you're still currently serving as a reservist because you've come out, you would tick that you've been in the, in the regular, but you wouldn't tick the reservist because you're still serving in that. I think that's uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, and I think it's really important, uh, Carrie Ann, what you've just highlighted there, that it is for both regulars and reservists uh, and veterans, which I think is really important because um, the, the MOD in particular, uh, going through a lot of uh, organisational change and talking about whole force and where the reserve force is, um, it, it plays a key role in delivery of the UK's operational capability. So thank you for highlighting that. And um, Damien, perhaps um, you touched on uh, in your introduction about what a fantastic opportunity this is. Um, maybe you could just enlarge on, on, on the Office of Veterans Affairs um, view. So Kerry-Ann uh, touched on this. It is, you know, one of the reasons the Office for Veterans Affairs has been created uh, is to try and um, join up government services more effectively to create a more collaborative environment between government and the incredible contribution that the rest of society, charities, business, academia, make to providing uh, the environment across the UK where hopefully veterans feel supported and feel they can access um, the services that they need should should they need these and what the what the survey does for us is really get to one of the major strands of the veteran strategy and what, what the OVA is really being created to do is have a place in government sitting at the heart of government in the cabinet office and for listeners what the cabinet office does is often take those issues which cut across lots of different bits of government where many departments are responsible for delivering services or creating policies all of which they have a knock-on impact into that community we're there to fuse all that together and our sort of vehicle for doing that is through the veteran strategy which we're responsible for and one of the major elements of that is improving our understanding and the use of data um, for the veterans community and this is what the census gives us it is going to give us as Carrie ann said the most accurate the richest picture of data across the veterans community that we will have had access to ever as policy makers and service providers within government. And that's why I think for us, it's such an exciting opportunity to look at what we're doing for veterans today, but actually understand what the trends might be for the future. One of the, the demographic trends, you know, I, I just point to a couple of things. People often, I think veterans, there's quite a lot of uh, assumption about what veterans look like, you know, um, we have fantastic role models throughout our veterans community, but the diversity is incredible. Age, uh, gender, regular reserve, we've already touched on that, pilots, infantiers, logisticians, uh, medically qualified personnel. It's such a rich story within that. And what this census will enable us to do is really get underneath that and understand who this community is and talk about not just veterans, but veterans in their own identities and their own communities. No, very interesting, Damien. Thank you. And I, and I think that's a perfect segue, if I may, to just to John, because I know that um, Cobzio in particular, uh, you, you were um, uh, pretty um, uh, clear for, for a number of years about how important it is to have this question included 
uh, within the, within the census. And um, maybe you could touch on that a little bit, but also perhaps um, just draw out a little bit for us how the COBSIO membership has responded to this announcement, um, and the sector as a whole across the third sector have um, uh, have re have reacted to the inclusion of the question in the census. The issue for us is that we think we've got about 2.4 million veterans in across the country. Um, we, we, we need to be clear about that. We need to know where they are. Uh, we need to know what, um, what their needs are, uh, both by type, uh, but also by geography. Um, and that is important for government, it's important for the sector. And uh, shortly after the last census, 10 years ago, the Royal British Legion began a campaign that's called Count Them In, the Count Them In campaign, which gradually picked up momentum to try and get support from a broad, a broad consensus of support um, to reflect the, the concerns of the charitable sector, but also the concerns of government. And, and I think the, what's remarkable is how broad the support has been for the inclusion of this um, veterans question in the census. Uh, I've got figures down there um, that it was endorsed, uh, the Count the Ming campaign was endorsed by 257 MPs, 67% of all members of the Scottish Parliament, 45% of all the councils in the UK and 65% of all uh, of the Welsh Parliament members. And across the, the charitable community, there is universal support for the inclusion of this measure. So uh, what it means for us um, is that we will be able to analyze the needs of the veteran community in more detail. Um, we will be able to make sure that we have um, focused our services, be they employment ser services, be they support services, for health and well-being, um, uh, to, the, to the, all of those services in a more accurate way once we have the detailed information. We don't have that at the moment. Uh, we respond to it as and where we identify it. And, and if I'm being honest, probably, probably rather anecdotally. So this is a big step, uh, as Damien has said, both for government and for the charity sector to make sure that we really focus what we're doing in a more direct um, and immediate way. There's some amazing statistics there, uh, Sir John, uh, that, that just show the overwhelming support across uh, local uh, and national government for support of the inclusion here. And I wonder, um, um, based on that, Kerry Ann, I mean, I mean you, you, you know, a number of us are veterans. I failed to mention in my introduction that I'm also, you know, um, a veteran. Um, and for us, it'll be the first time that we're answering uh, this question ourselves. Now, Kerry Ann, you spend a lot of time. Uh, engaging with local communities, raising awareness of the census. Um, what's been your experience with the veteran community? Um, are, they, are they predominantly welcoming of this? Because if there's so much overwhelming support in the centre, uh, it has to, we hope, be replicated by the veterans themselves on the ground so that the two parties can meet up and that's where the good can really be, um, can, can be benefited from uh, as a result. I mean, what's your sort of, if you like, the coalface view that you've experienced? Um, predominantly, it's been very positive. There has been some pushback from some veterans, and it's been the standard question, well, why are they bothering now? We've been out 20 years, they've not bothered about us, so why now? And that's where I, I turn it on its head, and, and that's that's when I, I explain the fully the benefits, like we've all discussed already, of what the veteran question means for organisations. and not just that but for the NHS and the local authorities as well um, and because of some of the questions that we have have been asked and pushback that we have had um, myself and my colleagues have put together a veterans presentation 
we've put together some um, veteran social media assets to target those questions. Um, so one of the questions that came through is why, why is there a specific question about ex-service personnel in the census 2021? And we, we've given them a quite a short but clear, concise, in consultation with ex-service organisations, we found that veterans were poorly represented regarding funding and service provision. The census will help address that. Um, a second question was, what do you mean by a veteran? Um, so we've said anyone who has served in the military in a, an official capacity, whether one week or 22 years. Um, but we make it very clear that if you've served one day in the armed forces, you're classed as a veteran and you should fill this question in. And make, making that very clear, because some people who have been to basic training and left after two days because it's not for them, don't class themselves as veterans and they are the harder to reach ones that we really need to focus on. Um, how will their information be kept safe? Um, especially from my background being um, intelligence core, um, for me, it key, keeping data and information safe. And we say to them, it's all anonymized. We won't know what they've put on their census questionnaire for a hundred years. It won't be released directly back to them for a hundred years. It will only be that raw data once it's crunched, once all the information's input into the system that organisations and, and that can have act and government will have access to. And what help will they get to fill in the census? And we've said there's various stages and levels of help and support. Um, there's various languages available and there's various groups and organisations and individuals that will help support them as well to fill it in. So that's really the, the, what I've been receiving at the coalface. But in general, the support across the veterans community has been very key in getting that one succinct voice and message across to everyone. So everyone's very clear of what's coming. That's amazing. I, I, and so, John, I assume that that's, um, is, that, is that reflected um, across, the, um, the, the, across your organisations? It is. Um, and uh, we've done everything we can to try and encourage our members um, to participate because clearly it's really important to get the maximum participation possible to give us the most complete picture. Um, uh, but I'm very reassured by Karen's words in terms of data security because that's something that is um, we're all concerned about and veterans are concerned about it uh, as long with the rest of the population. So I think the reassurance on data security is really important. And I wonder whether um, we could also say a word about the um, the situation in Scotland and in Northern Ireland, because those are two communities which are, um, I think, on a different timetable to England and Wales. So um, perhaps Carrie-Anne could address that, or perhaps you could, Jack, I'm not sure. Well, I see, I, I, you know, D Damien, you were sort of raising a hand there. Perhaps um, you could leap in on that one and then um, Carrie-Anne to follow. So, uh, absolutely. I mean, the census is a devolved matter. Uh, in government. This is one of our great um, challenges of ensuring that veterans, irrespective of where they live in the United Kingdom, have access to the same and complementary and the same quality of services in that, you know, within our devolved framework, individual governments now can choose to design uh, and deliver services in the way that they, they want to. And our job is to try and work with those governments to make them as consistently as possible. So in Scotland, uh, the government has decided there that the census will take place in 2022. And in Northern Ireland, and I'm sure for many of the people listening to this podcast will understand you know the particular environment that those who've served in the armed forces who continue to live in Northern Ireland or uh, have previously served there 
um, it is a more challenging environment and there is work going on to ensure that um, in order to understand the full UK wide picture, we do have as accurate a figure within Northern Ireland as possible. And the Northern Ireland Statistics Authority and, and regulators, which I think it is, are working with government uh, to enable us to do that. But it will be a slightly different process and system. What we are really interested in, of course, is understanding that macro picture. Though. And I think I would I'd come back to the point um, Kerry Ann made. I think it's a really, really fair challenge from the veterans community about, you know, why not 20 years ago on this? Um, I think I would say about my own office, the Office of Veterans Affairs, I think what's really happened within government, not in the last few years, but actually as much as probably from 10, 15 years ago with the, um, you know, the evolution of the covenant coming into a much more public profile under the Cameron uh, government with, you know, let's face it, modern media, the conflicts we have been in, uh, in charities coming into the fore in national life, events like the Invictus Games. I think the public overall uh, and society overall has got a much greater visibility of veterans and uh, the, the, what we ask of the armed forces to do than perhaps they had 20 and 30 years ago when that sort of modern interaction and media focus wasn't there. And the creation of this office, the Office for Veterans Affairs, is another further step in that recognition that, as Kerry ann said, there is, you know, a reasonable amount of evidence to suggest that in certain areas, uh, the services and support available to veterans have not always been what they could. And I think government has gone on a journey in recent years to improve that. There is absolutely more to do, though. That's why we as an office exist. That's why there is a national veteran strategy. Um, but it's absolutely why we need as much data as we can possibly get for the future, as, as John said, to be able for all of us to plan our collective support, because um, as, as, as fiscal pressures and resource pressures grow both within government and within the sector itself, we need to make sure that the services we're delivering offer an absolute maximum benefit to, to veterans themselves. And not just veterans, I'd, I'd really stress this, and this is one of the great advantages of the survey from our point of view and the census from our point of view is we'll know about people's families as well in the sense of how many they are, because whilst it's not in our job title, our office is very clearly it's veterans and families in the way that the covenant is serving veterans and families as well. So that's going to be a really important new source of data for us um, to work with. Uh, Damien, I, I think, that, you know, simply the energy behind your messaging there just tells us how, uh, you know, how, how how the Office of Veterans Affairs has, has, has really come on leaps and bounds um, in, in a year. Um, I, I, I want to come to um, Sir John, but, but very, very quickly, Damien, um, could you just give us an indication of how closely you are working with other government departments? Because, of course, one of the things that, uh, and we might touch on this in a moment in greater detail, but one of the things that we hope to get from the census is the ability to um, provide a service for veterans and their families, as you quite rightly outlined, across a whole raft of, um, of areas. So, for example, you know, my focus is on the Armed Forces Covenant, which, of course, covers um, uh, um, health, housing, uh, education, employment and welfare. Uh, my particular you know, um, part of the ship, uh, Defence Relation Management, we, we really focus on the employability and the employment bit. Um, but I wonder if you could maybe touch on how the OPA is interacting with um, other government departments and particularly how this census information may help strengthen your arm um, to get uh, positive benefit results for veterans and their families. No, that's a really that's a really great question. Um, I mean, the short answer is we work with other departments every single day. Collaboration 
within government as well as out with government is absolutely key. And I, I, I would genuinely pay tribute to the to the Office for National Statistics and Kerry Ann and the team there who are working in a fantastic manner with us. And we're really grateful for them to the way they're leaning into this. It, it, it's the way I would describe the relationship is sort of, I, I think, in two two big, big stalls. One is to help government departments and really create a common data picture. So we're part of our role is advocacy for the veterans community into other government departments in the way that, you know, when it's looking at it through the lens of the covenant, the MOD do the same um, with other government departments as, as well. So we, we are working and actually it's been great to see that my team and colleagues right across government are really enthused about the opportunity of the census, but enthused generally about the importance of data. And, you know, people will have heard um, people like Dom Cummings when he was in government and that talking about, um, you know, government needing to better understand data, better understand the needs of the citizens and the communities, you know, and, and in our case, veterans that we're here to serve. Michael Gove has talked a lot about that in terms of civil service reform. This is one of the major priorities. But what it also will help um us us do is really ask intelligent questions of departments about the scaling of their services as John said you know how many veterans as we build this up how can we kind of uh, cross-reference the data into other data sets that government has you know and there's a lot of work going on for example at the moment again i, I pay tribute to the rbl uh, the british legion and the role they play on this sort of stuff looking at things like how many veterans are having to draw on the welfare system at the moment what does that tell us about the experience between different generational cohorts in terms of maybe quality of pension or in some cases no pension uh, for, for some who served in the in the pre-75 um, era these are really important things to understand um, for us and the other the other sort of little bit it helps us uh, it's never easy doing this in any organisation, but where you're sort of sat in the middle of it and in a slight leadership role, holding them to account as well. If we've got better data about what's going on for the veterans community, we're in a better position, say, to hold to account as well as help and cajole and support colleagues in the rest of government. You know, make the case that I know they all want to for putting money and putting the best services possible forward for veterans and families. I have to say that's really, uh, really encouraging, Damien. Thank you very much. And, and I'm assuming, Sir John, that, uh, you know, the fact that we're hearing, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, the Cabinet Office running uh, the Office of Veterans Affairs or, or the Office of Veterans Affairs being embedded in the Cabinet Office means that there is that opportunity for to really reach out into the other government departments. Uh, I do agree that there is a, a step change in the way that the, the government is, is viewing uh, veterans issues. Um, uh, the Covenant has, I think, built momentum um, and is really having effect in a way they didn't do, say, five or six years ago. We have the veteran strategy. We have the implementation of the Office of Veteran Affairs at the heart of government. Um, and just recently, you've seen the Overseas Operations Bill, which is a part of which is designed to make sure we protect our people as they come back from operations. And indeed, the uh, legislation turning the Covenant into law, which is going through Parliament at the moment. So they're all, they're all it, it is generally not Cobbsio's position to um, give credit to the government um, unduly. However, uh, I have to say that there is, there, is a, there, is a, there is a bow wave of effort there. Um, you make the point about other government departments, and I, I will make a point there because I've, I've, I've made it to Mr. Gove and to others, which is that we have fantastic support from the Office of Veterans Affairs and um, the Ministry of Defence and the National Health. That is not the case with other government departments. And uh, we need to grip those other government departments and demonstrate to them why they need to engage. And this comes back to the whole question of making sure we understand the picture. Uh, uh, the point about data is a really 
boring word, but it's really, really important because if we have the clarity of the picture, we can hold those other government departments to account and we can insist that we get the service that our veterans need. So I really do think it, 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 it's important. It may just, the point I want to come in very quickly, if I may, and that is that uh, the whole question of the smaller communities within the veterans community. And what I mean by that is communities such as um, the non-UK um, veterans uh, across the country. Now, the surveys that we do at the moment, the work that we do at the moment, we have a non-UK cluster within, within, within Cobsia, but we don't have the clarity of the picture that we would like. As a consequence of this, um, uh, census and the question going into it, we will at last have that detail and we will be able to tailor our um, uh, our services um, across the country in a way which meets their needs. Uh, we will also be able to tailor our uh, questions to other government departments which should be supporting them rather better, I feel, in a more direct way. So um, for all sorts of reasons, for us, it's, um, it's, it's as I said before. Uh, it's no, really important, really. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And, and I think, you know, for me, for me, uh, as a veteran, and in terms of what defence relationship management deliver as well, um, you know, knowledge is power. It, mm. it affords you the opportunity to target where sometimes the need is greatest. And if you don't know that, then sometimes you're you're sort of fishing in what can be quite a, a very large and murky pool. With a lot of um, a, a lot of organisations, all of whom have the same desire to do the right thing but may not necessarily be corralled by the same information and intelligence that enables them to pinpoint and concentrate their efforts uh, in certain areas and indeed lobby as required into central government to, um, to, get, uh, to get change. I mean, Kerri-Anne, maybe you could expand for us a little bit um, on, on how the, the Office for National Statistics uses the census data and, you know, and why it's so important um, you've already said, you know, from your own and your husband's perspective about providing the data. But what might you be your message to a veteran listening to this podcast to say, hey, look, you know, this is how we use the data. And this is why it's important that you um, that you get involved and um, and complete the data, uh, the census. Well, I'll give you what the what's what the ONS message is, but then I'll give you an example as well. So the, the, the census questions are used to produce population estimates. They're used to provide a snapshot of the characteristics and the sizes of populations across England and Wales. And, and that's generally what the census information gives. These are then published for anyone to use, but are essential for determining provision across services. And Sir John touched on that provision of services. At the moment, depending on where you live in England and Wales, um, as a veteran, it's pretty much a postcode lottery, whether you get that help and support across the service provision that's out there. And I'm hoping from this, the information that gets back from the census is going to make sure that that service provision is across the board. There's a quality across the board. So it will mean that um, just because I live in Cumbria in northwest England, I'm, I'm still going to get the same service as if I lived in Cornwall. And for me and for other veterans, that's key. Um, but a, an actually great example of what's happened up here in Cumbria is in Eden and Carlisle districts of Cumbria. It was known that there was a large number of veterans living within the community. And those veterans came from those that attend the Royal British Legions within Cumbria, which is very well attended, the Armed Forces Veterans Breakfast Clubs, which have set up locally within Cumbria, and I set up our local one in Penrith. I, I was keen at setting that up in 2015. Um, 
also the regimental associations that um, are run, especially because we've got Carlisle Castle. Um, so it was it was known that we did have a lot of veterans within the Carlisle and Eden area. And from that, they did a guesstimate of how many veterans there was, and they've put together um, um, a veterans coordinator who works across both districts. Now, if they had true data to the amount of veterans they had, they could have applied for more funding and that position could have been more stable in long term, whereas the information that the census will give, that raw data, should hopefully make sure that that position continues long term for the level of veterans that we have living up here. So that's why this question is key. That's a fantastic example, Kerry Ann, and it really, you know, it really uh, paints the picture of why it's so why it's so important. And um, I'd like to pick up on something you you mentioned earlier, actually, Kerry Ann, and maybe um, um, uh, uh, ask for your view on it, and then uh, and then Sir John, you you probably would like to come in on this one, I think. Um, and it is about the phrase veteran. Um, there have been, uh, we in fact have done a podcast on this previously about what is a veteran. And there's a very, uh, uh, you know, there's a real mix of what people think um, a veteran really is. For, for a large percentage, it's, a, it's someone that fought in, uh, you know, in World War II, uh, is old, wears a blazer and medals on their jacket once a year, but otherwise just dissipates, you know, out into, out into society. Whereas your description earlier about um, actually you only need to have conducted one day's service uh, to be um, formally recognised as a veteran, because, of course, even if you only did one day's service, for most of those who leave after one day, it's not by choice. It's by unfortunate incident, usually. And they have still stood up, been through training, been through selection and have done everything to get themselves to that position. And in my mind, are quite clearly as deserving as someone that has done 22 years, but I do think that there are probably different sectors of the veteran community as well in terms of um, where that target may be. I mean, what's your view on the phrase veteran, Kerry-Ann? And then we'll um, maybe ask um, Sir John to comment on the same thing. I've always been an advocate for a veteran. Um, I've got a nephew who went to basic training um, two years ago and um, was medicaled out after two weeks because of injury. That wasn't his choice. He, he went through the selection process, as you say, Neil. Um, he, he did his time and unfortunately was injured and came out. He is still a veteran. And I, when I tried to discuss it with him, he went, but Auntie Kerry, I'm, I'm, I'm only 19 and I don't see myself as a veteran. I'm too young to be a veteran. And that's what we, we have to try and we have to dispel those myths. Um, and we, we also have to make sure that people know that if they served in the TA, they're a reservist. It's different terminology now. And we need to get that across as well, because people there's we, I've got a list of regular and reserve, what's classed as regular and reserve forces. And when I send out our information to all those that are linked with the, the forces veterans question, I send that list as well and say, please make sure that anybody that's served within any of these, be it regular or full-time, they are classed as a veteran. And there's about 25 on that list, and we need to make sure that that message is clear. No, that's really important. And um, uh, Sir John, I'm assuming that you know, access to those kind of lists, that kind of information, and indeed what the census will bring us, will can only be advantageous to, um, uh, uh, to, 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 your, to your charitable sector. Yeah, you, you highlight a very real problem, which is making sure that we uh, encourage everyone who has served, even if it is only for a day, 
to fill in the census correctly uh, because we want the full picture um, and uh, through our, everything that we can do, communicating through our Cobbsio newsletter, encouraging our own charities to get out across the community, we'll be trying to get the message out. If you serve a day, the answer to these questions is yes, and you need to fill it in, because only if you do that can we then tailor our, um, our delivery, our support, in a way which meets the full needs of the community. So um, there's, a, there's a real challenge, I think, to convince people such as um, Kerry-Ann's nephew, um, uh, early, early leavers from right across the piece, actually, um, that they are, they are absolutely part of our community and they need to regard themselves as so. Um, and uh, we in Cobbsley understand that that's a communication problem, uh, one that it, it's, it's, it's everybody's problem, but it's particularly our problem and we're going to get out there and see if we can try and do everything we can to, to fix it. No, fantastic. I, I think um, I, we, we've talked a lot around data um, I suspect that there are some who uh, who are fearful of Big Brother out there that uh, you know if they, and how their data is going to be um, protected. But we've heard from Kerry Ann, um, I think uh, um, some some facts that will help um, alleviate any fears they have there. I suppose, um, Damien, one for you, if I may. Um, uh, so, um, I mean, the Office of Veterans Affairs has been established for over a year now, um, uh, and I know there's been some changes announced recently, which you may wish to um, to touch on in terms of the. Um, uh, uh, some of the hierarchy and also a new position um, for some key players in uh, in your area. Um, but I wonder if you um, you touched earlier about about the collaboration and the importance of um, of having some. I suppose I would describe it as leverage over other government departments. And um, how might you take that protected data and um, and then um, and then use that to really inform across um, across government? You know. What what else other than perhaps the census data in terms of percentages, figures, measurement of effect is really useful for you to have to apply that leverage? Sorry, I've broadened the question a bit there, but uh... no. Well, I'll, I'll I'll just touch on the, the the first bit of the question. So yes, we're you know it's again I, I think it's another I touched earlier on you know there has been momentum now within government for a period of time to to better recognise and better support. Uh, the veterans community uh, alongside the wider armed forces community and again I think the next step I certainly see is this the next step the government are really are taking to genuinely signal this and open itself up to ever more challenge uh, is one of um, creating a new veterans advisor role for the government in England uh, in and David Richmond who has been the interim director of the office of veterans affairs is going to step into that role what that does is move David into a position to be really able to bring to bear his knowledge and experience of the sector uh, to challenge government to continue to offer that advice but also um, to provide uh, a position which is hopefully going to allow government to get the most from again the newly created veterans advisory board of which I'm really proud uh, that Sir John agreed to, to serve on and we have some incredible uh, and rich experience on that board as well, both veteran and not not veteran. Again, this is all about the government opening itself up to challenge and to different perspectives and to different ideas and people who are uh, through their own personal experiences, through the sectors, the industries they're working in, who can really help government and our office, but but not just our office, the whole of government, better understand how it can deliver and respond to the needs of the veterans community. So David will take up that role. He'll take up a uh, and as part of that, say, um, playing a greater role within the Veterans Advisory Board as well. And alongside that, then, some, uh, Jesse Owen, uh, who is a very accomplished uh, senior official in government, uh, is, is joining to become the director 
of the office. She has a really rich background in the national security arena. I know she's really excited about the role. Um, she's going to come at it with fresh perspective. And that, I think that's always great um, in any organisation that you have an opportunity to, to check that what you're doing is heading in the right direction, is really delivering against um, the expectations that both ministers, but crucially as well, what the veterans community expect of us. I think just to, the, to your question then about how do we how do we sort of really bring it to life um, and the data and, you know, we're in conversations, you know, sort of daily with Kerri-Anne and the team at the ONS to understand just what the scale of opportunity is, because clearly um, there's lots of demands within government on the ONS team and on the census, because everyone wants access to different bits of data. And I think the skill of it, as I understand it anyway, is what is it we really want the ONS to, to be looking at first in terms of, say, uh, drawing out the veterans uh, elements from within and I'll just give you you know we've got some plans um, as to what we would like to do we need to make sure that their plans that the ONS can can support us in as well there's some ethical questions as well we you know we've touched on security and that but there's also how we use data um, as well and you know how far do we go in that sort of you know what's colloquially termed the big brother chance we want to make sure we use data for the right things but one two two areas I would just pick out I think it's really important about the trend in the armed forces today um, and Cobzio and the charity sector are right alongside us, if not ahead in some places of this. The number of women, we've got Kerry Ann on the call, which is fantastic, who've served in the armed forces and increasingly now are serving full careers involving the full spectrum of family life that I as a civ civilian um, can enjoy alongside the challenges and the demands of being uh, an operational member of the armed forces, you know. But what does that mean? in the future for how our veteran services are tailored? How do we make sure that in those services, which I'll, I'll be frank, you know, if you talk to a lot of people traditionally have been designed because, and I've been in the defense arena for nearly 20 years now, are often designed through quite a male perspective because that's, you know, what the demographic picture has been like in, you know, the senior positions. How do we make sure that as that trend changes and, we, you know, the nature of uh, women serving in the armed forces changes, we respond to that through the services that we deliver. And the other one is around loneliness. There's a particular commitment in uh, the veteran strategy, for example, to, uh, uh, to do loneliness breakfast clubs, Kerri-Anne talks about, they're a fantastic uh, tool within that. But I don't wanna fall into the trap of assuming that uh, just because you might happen to live on your own and the census will be able to tell us that, that you're lonely. Anyone can be lonely at any point in time. But we want to be working with um, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, who run the government's overall national loneliness strategy. What do they think about the data? Do we have the same views on that? That's where this is really going to help us, um, I think, improve uh, how we work collectively within government um, through the census. Uh, very interesting. Uh, so, so, John, I, I suppose I might throw the same question at you in terms of, you know, the beneficiaries that you uh, and, your, and the organisations under your umbrella, you know, so successfully serve. Um, presumably it's a, it's a similar mechanism for uh, how this data will help uh, those organizations really reach out or, or have I, uh, or, or am I, or are you, do you approach it from a slightly different perspective? I think, I think the point is absolutely um, relevant uh, to the service charity sector. Um, uh, the service charity sector is, has grown up over time really since the First World War in a, in a, in a, in a rather colorful mosaic which spreads across the country. Um, so it, it, it's responded to general need, but um, in many cases, the local charities in particular are there because there are people there who have devoted time and energy um, to, 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 to establishing those charities. What, what, what we don't have is clarity on the picture of need, and I hope that, 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 that the, this census will give us that. 
and, and it is important because um, we're going through a, a, all charities are going through a difficult time at the moment. Um, the the pandemic, um, coupled with um, in terms of service charities, uh, particularly the loss of profile now that we're no longer engaged on in in in, in large operations, um, uh, that has meant that there is inevitably going to be a reduction in the resources flowing into the charitable sector more broadly and, and and the service charity sector in particular. What that means is if we want to retain the same level of service to our people, we need to make sure that the resources we have are focused on the areas of real need. And um, we are desperately trying to do that. We're carrying out all sorts of reviews within the sector to try and make sure that we tailor what we're doing um, more efficiently and more effectively. Um, uh, that that will always be a requirement, but in the new environment post the pandemic, and um, in the newer environment, probably where there's less resources flowing into the the charitable sector overall, and the service charity sector in particular, as I've said, I think that that kind of focus, that kind of efficiency, is ever more important. So I think that's another reason why we're we're keen to see. Um, we're delighted to see this this question in the census. That's great. I, I mean, there's real synergy between the messaging there, which is fantastic. And uh, Kerry Ann, you wanted to come in there, I think. Yeah, just touching on what Damien said, our armed forces have, have changed quite dramatically um, over the last 30, 30 years. I joined in 1990 when women were WREC, we were trained separately from the men, we were paid less, um, we were non-combatant, and life was very different in my first couple of years of my army service. Then in 1992, when our service, uh, when the WREC was disbanded, um, we went over to our cat badge and mine was Intelligence Corps and we were brought into the real army as we, as it was mentioned back then. And women's role within the, in the forces has changed so dramatically over the last 30 years. Um, when I first joined, we couldn't stay in when we became pregnant. Then I had my elder son while serving in 95 and then had my second son in 2002 before I, I left the military. So for me, it's key that we, we look at how service has changed, the differences that there is within the service and how the veterans question will relate to that. And the actual the, the amount of women that do serve um, within our armed forces. And then touching on what Sir John said as well about getting the, the clearer picture and the reduction in funding for charities and organisations. I run my own charity as well as um, work for ONS mm. and we support veterans and having that clearer understanding of how many veterans that there are within the, the areas that we support mm. will really help us direct our funding, direct support and that and that will be the same with all charities. They can think smart, work smart with what funding that they get and this information is key for that. No, I think that's great. I, you know, it comes back to that whole targeted approach, doesn't it, Kerry? I think, you know, I think that's vital. I mean, it's interesting. The um, Johnny Mercer, the Minister for Defence, People and Veterans, um, uh, often talks about, um, importantly, um, about meaningful employment um, uh, is is key to a veteran's positive transition through to civilian life, and indeed their overall well-being. You know, Damien uh, picked up on on loneliness before. Kerry Ann and Sir John have both talked about um, uh, different um, approaches across the um, the charitable sector. Um, do we think, uh, and this is an open question really, that, that um, do we think that the census data can really positively impact veteran employability going forwards? Um, yes, it can. Um, 
a, a prime example, businesses decide where they're going to set up new, where they're going to expand, how they're, how they're, they're going to evolve going forward. And if they're a business and an organisation that is key to working with veterans and employing veterans, if there's an area where there's a high cohort of veterans, they're going to look to set up there because the, with the training, the, the breadth of training, knowledge, experience and diversity that the veterans community brings to a business, veterans, a lot of veterans don't think inside the box, they think outside the box and that's what our training has given us. Um, over the years and we learn to diversify and deal with situations sometimes we, we think very differently and a lot of that's due to um, our initial training and the environment that we've been brought up in so for me yeah it's an untapped resource which could now potentially be reached through this new question. Yeah brilliant so John. Yeah the current information that we have in terms of employment comes from um various sample-based surveys and also the feedback that we get from uh, the Career Transition Partnership. Uh, where the service charities focus is, is less on the initial two years after you leave the service, which is covered by CTP, uh, but it is on the period afterwards. And um, a, an awful lot of veterans use the service charity employment um, services. But at the moment, we don't have clarity on um, exactly what the needs are exactly where they are and uh, and and therefore um i go back to this point about focusing what we're doing and, and and making sure that we're doing it in the right areas and doing it in the right way to meet the needs of our of, of those in need of the services so um that that whole area after the two years of the ctp uh, is a bit of a black hole at the moment uh, which we're servicing but we need to do it in a more intelligent way and this will help us no, I think that's really important. I mean, I, you know, on a personal note, I certainly found out I left um, I left the army. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to walk into uh, a job role, uh, which I enjoyed. But I, but I found it was a little bit I describe it as a bit like um, uh, uh, being an 18 year old, which, of course, we'd all like to be again. But uh, uh, the in that um, I when I, I left, um, I joined the army quite young. Uh, it became my family for 23 years. Uh, when I then left it, uh, I, I went into the employment model that an 18 year old goes into when they leave school in that um, they they go into a job, their first job. They either like it or don't like it. They move around probably after 18 months, a couple of years. They go into something else, maybe move move again for, um, for 18 months, two years. So sometimes it takes maybe three or four, uh, you know, uh, attempts at finding what where the fit is. And of course, just because I left, um, you know, after 23 years service, you know, in my late 40s, it wasn't really any different for me. I left and I had to bounce around. And it's and there is no I didn't feel there was a huge amount of support there. Now, that's partially my fault because maybe I didn't go looking hard enough because that support probably is there. But I, I do absolutely agree with you, Sir John, that it's in the I, I think it's probably in the two to five year bracket where mm. a lot of people really struggle because they're still. Um, part of the family, part of the veteran community, um, um, and there are there are great um, uh, you know organisations you can reach out to, but um, veterans tend to be quite a proud bunch as well. They think that they can you know the transferable skills that are phenomenal that they bring in terms of their agility and their skill sets 
uh, into the civilian workspace is is phenomenal. Um, but also um, the hardiness that a veteran has is can sometimes be a disadvantage because they say, it's all right, I can deal with this. I'll, I'll do it on my own mm. uh, without necessarily reaching out. And that's where some of the great messages, for example, from Sergeant Major Glenn Horton, who's the senior enlisted um, advisor to the Chiefs of Staff Committee, really, you know, is the forces mental um, health uh, um, champion. And he really pushes that. And um, I've had a lot of good conversations with him about this, about how we might expand on that particular um, uh, um, area. Um, I'm, I'm just very conscious of, um, of time. Um, and um, the, I think the, the content that we've covered has been phenomenal. Uh, and um, I, what I'd like to do is, is, is to just, um, is to invite each of you to really, if you had one message uh, to say to the veterans um, out there who, who hopefully will listen to this uh, and wish to get engaged in the census, um, why it's so important for them to um, and to do so. So, um, um, Damien, sorry, putting you on the spot a little bit, maybe, you know, um, if you could start and then carry on then Sir John. So I think, thank, thank you, Jackie. I think my um, message would be, please do complete the survey as accurately as you can um, for all sorts of reasons in terms of all of our contributions that we all make as citizens in the country, but for the, specifically for, for veterans, you, by completing that survey as accurately as you can, you can help contribute um, to what the government is trying to do in terms of making the UK the best place to be a veteran in the world and what not just the government but the whole of the veteran sector and the whole of society I would hope um, would ascribe to that's the ambition in the veteran strategy and it just strikes me that if you want to be the best country in the world for veterans and you want society to have the right understanding of who our veterans community are we need to know how many of you there are we need to know what you're doing we need to know uh, where you are and we need to be able to bust, use that information to bust some of the myths that are out there about veterans so that we can genuinely showcase the sorts of things that we've seen through the pandemic, which is the incredible contribution veterans are making through all sorts of aspects of national life, from volunteering through to being, you know, CEOs of some of the most extraordinary companies, big and small, uh, in the country that we've got today. Uh, really powerful logic, Damien. Thank you. I, I mean, carry on. That might be difficult to follow, but... Uh, but... I was just going to say that, Damien, you stole my thunder. <laughs> um, but for me, being a veteran, I, I am very passionate about us as veterans having our voice. And if we do not have that voice, then we can't say, well, why aren't we getting help and support? So put your pen to the paper or tick that button on the screen that says that you've been a reserve service uh, in the armed forces or a full-time member in the armed forces and make that 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 button click that that tick on the bit paper count and then we will have a voice we will have a presence and then we will be able to get see change in services and provision across England and Wales and as Damien said we will have the best veteran service there is in the world so please, as a veteran, to other veterans, to my brothers and sisters, or brothers and sisters of another mother, as we say, please fill that question in. Thank you, Kerri-Anne. Uh, and, and Sir John, finally to you. I know all, all the sandwiches seem to have been eaten, I think, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think they have. Um, very, very eloquently put by both Damien and by Kerri-Anne. I would just say this, is, this, this question offers a step change um, in the way that we can look after our, our veterans. So seize it. Um, and 
please please make take the opportunity to really grasp it. The final thing I'd say, because I'm going to make two points rather than one, as I was last, and is that I would like to thank the Royal British Legion. Um, their Count the Ming campaign has been critical in getting this question onto the census uh, this time. They've done a fantastic job over many, many years, and uh, we collectively owe them a debt of gratitude. So thank you, the Legion. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Well, I think um, for everyone listening, the overwhelming message is, um, is take part. This is great news. It's a fantastic opportunity and it provides the platform for, uh, you know, for great work to come, uh, building on the data um, right across the country. Um, and I think um, I, all that remains is, is to, for me to remind you that the 2021 census will take place on the 21st of March. Um, for the first time, this will be a digital first census, uh, but paper will be um, available for those that need it. Um, you can find more information about the census at www.census.gov.uk. And of course, um, there's a big social and digital media footprint out there. Um, if you wish to join the conversation on social media, do so at hashtag census2021. Um, thank you to all, uh, all of you for joining. Sir John, Damien and Kerry-Ann. Um, I think the, uh, the ground we've covered in a short space of time has been, uh, has been incredible. Uh, and thank you for your openness, your transparency, but also the energy uh, 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 that has got us, to this, um, uh, got us to this moment in time. And I do think it is a moment in time because it, is, uh, it presents a step change as to how we deliver those services out to the whole veteran community and all of their um, families. So thank you very much for taking um, part. I know you're all busy individuals. It has been hugely appreciated. And I think thank you also to the, um, to the production team that sit behind this, Kylie Groves and Claire Reed peters uh, often forgotten um, from the Defence Relationship Management team, but thank you to you two also. Um, and as always, um, further information and links to anything mentioned in this particular episode can be found in the episode um, biography, and you can find the podcast, the Being Forces Friendly podcasts, on SoundCloud and Apple um, pod, um, podcasts. So thank you for joining us, and... Um, 21st of March is the date. Thank you. If you don't want to miss out on next month's episode, then hit the subscribe button. And if you have any questions for us or want to know more, you can contact us on Twitter at DRM underscore support. Thank you very much for listening.